We're uh, in Romans, and uh, there's a section in Romans that a well-known friend of mine once described as a book within a book. Do you know who that is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just looking at the clock. <laughs> All right. Why is it a book within a book? Because this particular passage, Romans 6, 7, and 8, are all interconnected with the thought of theology that is the most foundational understanding for Christian living. It is really, 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 really important. In Romans chapter 6, Paul makes the argument that you have been freed from the dominion of sin. It will not rule over you anymore. You shall not be slaves to it any longer. And being set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanliness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members or as slaves of righteousness for holiness. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. So what Romans 6 says is you're called to free yourself from the entanglements that come through temptations and giving into those temptations leading to sin. All sin is, is a, a matter of disobedience to God. How do you know if you're disobeying God? Because he's given us his understanding of what you should do and shouldn't do. You know, in uh, politics, they, uh, they have to go to foreign countries and they have a, a person that is understanding of the culture that they're going to. And they have to teach the ambassador or the president, whoever's going, all the things that you don't do that would be offensive in that particular culture. So once instructed, they won't offend. Same thing is true with God. God gives us instruction so we won't have offenses. So that's Romans 6 called to holiness. Romans 7, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> And that is we have a body that comes from a nature that we received from Adam. In theology, they call it the Adamic nature. It's a nature that comes from one who fell and sinned, and that sin has been passed on. That nature for sin has been passed on from there on in. And Romans 7 is about the struggle of this thing that He's called us to do, walk in holiness and not be under the dominion of sin. Romans 8 gives us the victory of that so that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So that's 6, 7, and 8. That's the introduction. And now we start, oh, sage. <laughs> Young spices up. <laughs> Romans 7 takes us in an 
in an interesting direction because it helps to clarify why it is that we wrestle the way we do. There is not a person in Christ sitting in this room who does not know the struggle, the turbulence that happens, and Paul speaks of it here. And I think, David and I have talked about this many times, I think that to, to really comprehend it, once more you have to go back to the garden. With you, I took it back to the garden again. You have to understand the nature of what happened there in the fall in order to fully appreciate why it is that you and I struggle the way that we do and how God is going about bringing us to the point of growing in holiness, growing towards what is to come in glory. You need to understand first, and, and Paul talks about it in Romans 7, um, he talks about sin and he talks about the law. We see that a lot. Again, I prefer to translate the Hebrew Torah, which we usually see as law, as teachings. There were the teachings. When Adam fell, the warning that God had given him was applied. He said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of that, the King James renders it, you shall surely die. A better translation is, dying you will die. It's a twofold aspect to death. Understand that death is... There's no such thing as death equaling unconsciousness or some sort of a dissolution of spirit. Death is not unconsciousness. Death is separation. When that which was intended to be together is pulled apart, that's separation. When your spirit leaves your body, should you pass away before the return of the Lord? That's separation. Paul makes it clear. The body sleeps. The spirit ascends to be with the Lord. It says to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. So twofold aspect. Adam was immediately separated. Separated from the presence and knowledge of God. And we talked about the fact that the Shekinah glory itself was taken. Now Adam was unclothed. He was uncovered, an even better way of putting it. No longer covered with the light as with a garment. This is, it's critically understand that because that happened instantly. The glory departed. And then human beings walk in darkness. Your immediate condition is to walk in darkness because the light has gone. Eventually, there's a physical death. But what happens at that point is that the body begins immediately to degenerate, having fallen away from the source of life, 
your body begins to degenerate. And even though under the much more friendly climactic conditions in the world before the flood, even though it's still extended to centuries, people would live centuries, literal centuries, um, they would die. Dying, you will die. And that's, that has been, as Romans 7 makes clear, that has been the way that we have experienced it from that time until this. Look around. Look at each other. We're all dying. From the youngest to the oldest, you're dying already. Already. The youngest don't believe it. <laughs> the oldest say, oh, heck yeah. Um, you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you say, what the heck happened to me? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> you really do. Uh, and I tell you, one of the most painful things that you can do is to go on Facebook and see photographs of people that you were in high school with and say, who is that person? What happened to them? And then to realize that's probably what they would say to me. Okay, so we're in a, and this is critical here. We're in a body of death. But in Jesus Christ, we've been born again and we have a spirit of life. Now that's what we're facing. We're facing the fact that within us, there is this, there is this combat going on. There's a duality happening. That's exactly right. That war. The, the flesh nature received from Adam, the righteous nature received from God. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he said, what must I do? He says, you got to be born again. Well, how can, I, how can that happen? Physically, I can't enter my mother's womb again. And he says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You were born in flesh. Now your spirit needs to be Reborn because, as Paul puts it in Ephesians, you were dead, separated from God. That's what that death means. You were separated from God because of sin. And then Jesus paid the price. He paid our sin for us. The result of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. But he paid that for us. Now our spirit has been reborn. If we could have that diagram sometime that'd be great uh, so now you have a spirit nature that comes from God and you have a flesh nature that comes from Adam so these two are contrary if you want a reader's digest version of it you find it in Galatians chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5 is a reader digest, uh, reader's digest version of 6, 7, and 8 <laughs> Just condensed. Okay, see the diagram back there? This is what Dr. David has talked about over and over again. The body, soul, spirit. Up at the top, it says, born again of the Holy Spirit. First John 3, 9. 
and 1 Peter 1.23. It says, that which is born of God cannot commit sin because his seed remains in him and he cannot commit sin. That is referring to the spirit. <clears throat> the flesh is our sensual, the senses. The, when he, at, in the garden, it looked good to eat, make one wise. The senses were all involved in that. The, the soul is where decisions are made. That's where your mind and your emotions are put together, some more intellect, some less emotion, some more emotion, some less intellect. You know how it is. They try to get people to buy emotionally. That causes the will to act. In the center is the heart, where Jesus said, out of the heart comes evil and every kind of bad thing. But David says, created me what? A clean heart, a new heart. The spirit dwelling in the heart causes the heart to act in the way of God rather than the way of the flesh. But they're constantly battling one another. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. Uh, the fact that we have body, soul, spirit. We've talked about this many times before. We have videos online. Uh, it's a fundamental understanding in the Christian life. So you have to understand that you have a body of death. You're born with it. It is generated by natural generation. It has been descending from Adam until now. You're born with it. And the moment that you're conceived, you die. You die. There is something wrong genetically. This goes to something that comes up in the scriptures a lot. The seed. How many times do you run across the seed? The seed of promise, the seed of this, the seed of Abraham, and so forth. There is something wrong at the level of seed. Natural generation produces life and also kills as it does so. That's in Adam. We'll see that Paul refers to this later in Romans 7. Uh, and he gets down to, he, he, he draws the picture very clearly, but you have to constantly understand that your body is a body of death and there's nothing good about it. Not one thing. It is entirely at war with God. The flesh wars with the spirit, Paul. Go back and re, go back and reread Galatians 5. It's the flesh wars with the spirit, the spirit with the flesh. They are at war. It's an intractable war. You must understand that if you are born again in Christ, which means you're a Christian, okay, you're either that or you're not a Christian. To say born again Christian is actually redundant. Okay? Born again implies Christian. Christian implies born again. That's all you have to say. To be born again is to have received the new creature, the new spirit, the new creation that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Right. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all have become new. Okay, that is at the level of spirit. That cannot sin. Cannot sin. 
The scripture is quite clear about it. That new creature is a foretaste of glory divine. It's what the rest of us is going to grow into at the moment of glory. You have within you. And if you want to know where it is, just put your hands over your ears. <laughs> Try it. Put your hands over your ears. Try it. Between your hands is the Holy of Holies. And right there is the place, the dwelling of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is what brought to you the new creature within. He's with it. The Holy Spirit and your spirit dwell together in the Holy of Holies, which in the human frame is right between your hands when you put them over your ears. That's why you have scriptures like, we're in, with him now. Wow, spiritually. We're connected spiritually right. with Christ even now. In the heavenly places. We're already seated with him in the heavenly places. That being the case, then what we have is we, we understand that that was the seal of glory. That's the seal of promise. You must be born again. And then with Pentecost, it became very, very clear exactly what he meant. The new birth and the Holy Spirit descending in fire to live in men. And that is why you have a lively hope. Remember in the older days, they had cartoons with the devil sitting on one shoulder and an angel sitting on the other shoulder. And a similar thing, you have the flesh nature sitting on one shoulder and the spirit nature sitting on the other shoulder. <laughs> and the flesh nature says, go ahead, you'll really like it. And the flesh and the sin, the uh, spirit nature says, don't fall for it. Don't give in to the temptation. Don't do it. Yeah, it was it, miserable theology, though. But <laughs> <laughs> that battle does go on. The spirit wants you to do what is right and righteous. The flesh nature wants to serve itself. Right. It's all. It's all about me. It's, it, most sin is for the moment. Uh, if you remember the scripture saying, giving up sins for a season that he might. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's the now thing that usually sin is best at entrapment. It's making the decision now to make yourself feel better, whatever it is. And that's why it's so strong. And since most people lived in the flesh long term, they have to rebuild their life in the spirit. And people want an instantaneous spiritual maturity. And all of a sudden they can overcome everything when it took them years to build the flesh. It doesn't happen instantaneously. There is a theology out there that you can have instant sanctification, which means you don't sin any longer through an act that you do. Instant sanctification is as good as instant coffee. <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> the fact is that we are intended to grow into this. We're intended to mature into this. 
We're not intended to assume it all comes at one moment. As a matter of fact, the Lord has been very patient for 2,000 years building his church. He did not say, okay, that's it, it's all over. I've risen from the dead, all done. Because we were all in his mind. And we wouldn't come along for a very long time. And he was willing to put up with time in order for us to be here. Now, understand that at the garden, there's a connection between sin and death. That is, the wages of sin is death, okay? With sin came death. They're just linked automatically. But then Paul in Romans 7 begins to speak of law, Torah, the teachings. And this is a very interesting thing. Let me read you the opening from 7. He says, don't you realize, brothers, for I am speaking to people who know the law, that is, who know the Torah, to the Jews, that the law can press its claims over a person only as long as he's alive, that is, when we're in this flesh, this body of death, only for as long as that is persisting, do the claims of law of the Torah apply. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So while her husband is living, she will be called an adulterer if she lives with another man. But if her husband dies, she is freed from this law so that she is not adulterer if she marries another man. Okay. So far, so good. We get it. Very straightforward. That is, we are bound to the law, which was given in time and space. We're bound to that. And to those peoples and cultures who never heard about it, they're bound, remember, all the way back in Romans 1 and 2, they're bound by their own consciences. There is, said Paul earlier in Romans, there's an inward law, what we sometimes call conscience. They may be totally ignorant of the Creator, the Lord, even though it's very clear that He's there. But they might be completely ignorant, but they all the time violate their own laws. They, they, they set up rules. Every society has taboos. Well, they violate them all the time. Okay? You shall not murder is something that is, I mean, it's not like there are societies and cultures who've never heard of the scriptures that don't view murderers or thieves with approbation. So you have something that's already known. If you're without the law, Paul says, you violate your conscience, your heart, what God put in you when he made you human. At some level, no matter how degraded, everybody's got some sort of guiding principles. There are some sort of line out there that if you cross that line, even a, a culture that knows nothing about the scriptures says, you are condemned. That's wrong. We may not like where they draw the lines, and they're certainly drawn in ignorance. Now, Paul says, 
let's look at the ones who have the law. He says, you have the law, and we know that the law, what's the function of the law? Why, why was the law given? Well, somehow we're bound to it. Sin and death go together. You, you don't have to know a word of Torah to die. Everybody dies because everybody has the curse of Adam. Everybody has the body of death. What is law? Interesting. He goes on, he says, in the same way, my brothers, through the Messiah's body, you also died as far as the Lord's concerned, so that you may belong to another person, the one who raised you from the dead, raised from the dead and may bear fruit for God. In other words, you were previously married to a body of death. And the wages of that was always death and darkness and wrath and all the rest of it. But now in Christ, you've been given the great divorce. How? By him suffering the death, that death was in effect a bill of divorcement for all of his people from the law and what the law did in us. Not saying that there's no law, far from it. But the consequences of consciousness of law that you're constantly violating allowed us, through his suffering and sacrifice, it allowed us to leave the old spouse, the law, and go to the new one, which is Christ. Does that make sense? In effect, this is how it's done. Sin brings death. That's why the answer to the huge riddle of what to do with a fallen man and a righteous God who is filled with love was found in totally bound up in Christ. Because he is the great Lamb of God. He is the only righteous one, completely fulfilled and then offered himself as the sacrificial lamb for all of us, once for all, done. And when he rose, it was a sign of God's acceptance and blessing. This was a sign of God's power, his ultimate approval. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The resurrection itself was the visible sign that the door was open to those who would accept the sacrifice. It's been given. So, so if you, now you know that, that a way was made <clears throat> to be freed from dominion, from the mm -hmm. slavery to sin because Jesus took the sin upon himself, so that we might be freed from it. Mm -hmm. Now we got that intellectual knowledge. Why do we still struggle against sin? <laughs> this, is a, this is an extremely important question. Now let's finish his thought about this because in explaining how we have been freed from it, we can focus later on, well, he's going to point right at it. 
He's going to point at the thing we all wrestle with, that he wrestled with. For while we were living according to our human nature, the body of death, sinful passions were at work in our bodies by means of the law, by means of the law, to bear fruit resulting in death. It's what, it's what death brings, is more death. It's absolutely at war with the Spirit. It will have its own way. It will not accept the will of God. It accepts only its own will. Don't believe that? Watch the local news every night. But now we have been released from the law by dying to what enslaved us. See, that's the divorce. That's that in Christ, in his death and resurrection, we have ourselves, being one with him, have been freed. Just like the person whose spouse dies, you're now free. That relationship has come to an end. So in Christ's death, our relationship with what was the spouse, the law, has been dissolved. It's gone. Christ has dissolved the penalty of the law. And so now that that is gone, we're free to live in the spirit. We're free to walk according to grace and to the salvation of Christ because being covered in the blood of Christ, we are now one with him and will be treated by the Father the same way he treats Christ himself. Do you understand that? You're going to be treated by the Father the same way that he treats his own son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. You will be treated that very same way. But we're not talking about little blessings. We're talking about blessings that go vastly into the sky. We will, we will rule with him. We will be exalted with him. He is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And by his righteousness, sacrifice, and resurrection, you're going to be exalted to the thrones of princes. The blessing that's coming is way, way beyond imagination. Eyes not seen, ears not heard. What's coming? When you get your eyes off of that, then this world can look pretty grim. Okay? So we've been, in effect, we, we are, through the death of Christ, we have been separated from that. Now, there's a key point that he goes on and says. He says, what should we say then? Is the law sinful? He says, of course not. In fact, I wouldn't have become aware of sin if it had not been for the law. I wouldn't have known what it means to covet if the law, the law had not said, you must not covet. Okay, what this means is, and you have to think of it, you find the metaphor that works for you. The law is like a giant searchlight. In effect, with it, the law is absolutely pure and righteous and holy. The problem's not with the law and what it shows. The problem's with us. Because as soon as the light comes, 
Oh, 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 oh. As soon as you look in the perfect mirror of Torah, which was given, remember, it's a mirror. It's not a window. It's not so you can point at somebody else out over there. It's a mirror. You look at it. What are you supposed to see? Yourself. See yourself as you really are. And don't forget when you turn away from it. Don't forget. That's where truth is. And so when you understand that, then you realize the law is like, a, is like God's spotlight beam on you. It shows you what you really are. But the problem is that that spotlight beam can't save you. All it can do is reveal your need. All it can say is, you have failed. It's all it can do. Let me show you the many ways in which you failed. Now, when Christ came along, he even sharpened that. What did Christ say? You've heard it said, you shall not kill. I say to you, if you've even looked at your brother with hatred in your heart, you have already murdered. Now what do you do? Your heart in this body of death is filled with that. There is not one single sin you have not committed. Not one. You don't have to brain somebody over the head to murder them. You do it all the time. So, that being the case, do we understand that the light that the law represents, the revealing light, of course it's pure and perfect. It's not sinful. Now, what it's looking at is sinful. That's the problem. And he says, hey, I would have known all of these things. If the law had not come along, I would have known about all this. But what happens with the body of death when the Torah, when the teaching comes? Does it say, oh, wow, I've really blown it? Oh, woe is me? No, it says, look at this great list of things I should be doing. A whole new set of things I can violate. It's a checklist of nasty things to do. That's what your, that's what your fleshly nature, it looks at it and says, okay, you should not kill. Oh, but so-and-so treats me so bad. I hate them. Okay? For that matter, I hate this, too. I just hate it all. This is what you begin to realize. Ah, sin and death go together from the garden. Torah comes along as God's revelation, that revealing mirror of Torah. I look at it and I say, wow, a laundry list. What it does is it inflames the sin nature. It stirs you up. Your body of death is stirred up. And it rejects it more. You don't think so? How many idolatries are there in the world? How many ways have people found to believe something as long as it's not in the Bible? Worship things that are abominations. 
Love things that God hates. This is all tied up with that. That's about it. You've got to realize how dire your situation is. And if you, anyone here, is not in Christ, that's you. That's you. You're a child of wrath. You'd better take it to heart because the return is close. But sin sees the opportunity provided by this commandment and produces in me all kinds of sinful desires. Since apart from the law, sin is dead. Not in the sense of sin doesn't happen and death doesn't happen. It's just that you're not aware of it, is what Paul's saying. See what I'm saying? If you've never, if you've never read the scriptures, if you don't know anything about them, you don't even know they exist, well, you just sort of put day by day by whatever code you carry with you, which you violate that too. In other words, the human race is hopeless. In and of itself is hopeless. Hopeless. Clueless. Really clueless. So the law comes to reveal, and instead all it does is incite. Does that make it more clear to you? It was here to reveal, and the reaction of those being revealed was... That. It incited. So. Especially those things we don't like. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> if it's something we like, it's okay. But when God says, this is wrong, that's when the flesh nature says, no, it's not wrong. And I will justify it by blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> Best justifiers in the world. Oh, sure. We're very good at it. Uh, he says, at one time I was alive without any connection to the law. That's true. We're, we're born, frankly, even in, a, in an observant household, we're born and we find that it takes years to even reach the point of understanding that you're in an observant household. He says, but the rule was revealed. In the course of time, Paul became familiar with Torah. And he said, when the rule was revealed, sin sprang to life. Just flame on. And I died. I found that the very rule that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Because, again, it revealed the complete helplessness. If one perfectly, completely, absolutely from one end of life to the other, carried out everything in the law, would they be condemned? No. If. But there's only one who's done that. And he, as we could discuss on some other occasion in the indeterminate future, he was not born with a body of death. The second Adam was not born with the same body as was produced by the first. And that is extremely important to understand. The perfect Lamb of God. There's a very specific meaning to perfect. Spotless. Pure. Christ came into this world with a nature we don't know. For sin, seizing the opportunity provided by the rule, deceived me and used it to kill me. 
Yep, that's it. Now the checklist. Oh gee, the wonderful checklist. The checklist he was operating under when he let the people who stoned Stephen to death pile up their garments at his feet. The law in Paul led him to become a really fine murderer. He slaughtered the church. He went up against the church. He had people imprisoned. He had people executed. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee. That was done by the power of the law. He was acting according to the law. And it made him a murderer. In the name of righteousness, he murdered. In the name of Torah, he slew. That's what happens. So then, the law itself is holy. It is, it is a revealer. And the rule is holy, just, and good. It's just that we can't do it. Does that, is that clear? There's nothing there. The law is perfect and pure. But we can't do it. He goes on, he says, Now, did something good bring me death? How can that be? Of course not. But in order that sin might be recognized as being sin, in other words, that revealing, when that light of Torah comes in, suddenly you realize how much darkness there is, that everybody's broken. And now you begin to see, if you are spiritual, how terrible everything is. Okay, it used something good to cause my death so that through the rules, sin might become more exposed as being sinful than ever before. In other words, that perfect light of Torah, the law, came to show sin for what it was. Show us for who we were. Except that when we were exposed, we were helpless. It exposed us as helpless. If we didn't have a redeemer, we were done. No escape. None. But the redeemer came. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am merely human. Ah, now we get to it, see? I'm just, I'm just a person, by which he means fallen, body of death, and all the rest, right? So the law is spiritual. I am merely human. I'm sold as a slave to sin. That's, I was born into it. I was born with the body of death. If you think that little babies are without sin, you haven't had one. Oh, man. It's an unmitigated, an unmitigated disaster. Human nature, that body of death is already, it doesn't just coo and cuddle. It yells and it screams and it self-willed and it wants what it wants when it wants. And when they get to be about three, it gets worse. No. <laughs> I don't Now, here's what's key. I don't understand what I am doing. Here's Paul talking about himself. <coughs> For I don't practice what I want to do, but instead I do what I hate. Ever had that feeling? 
Hey, I need, I'm going to do this, right? Whatever the last diet was. Followed shortly by 10 bags of Cheetos. Now you're going to meddling. <laughs> now, if I practice what I don't want to do, I'm admitting that the law is good. Because if I say, oh, I don't want to do that, I'm recognizing the law is good. There's no problem with the law. I know what the law is. I know I should do this. But he says, as it is, I'm no longer the one that's doing it, but the sin that is living in me. He's beginning to see this separate, that the sin nature itself, the body of death itself, is something that it exists in him, in his experience as separate from the new birth, the new Paul, the one that met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the one who was born again. that the new Paul, actually Saul became Paul, interesting, that this new being says, when that happens, it's no longer me, the born again me that's doing it, because that new creature cannot sin. The new spirit cannot sin. It absolutely cannot sin which is a mind blower to many people, okay? Your body of death cannot do good. Get it? Nothing, not a thing, forget it. And it will eventually betray you. Your body will betray you one way or another and probably hundreds of times over and eventually you go out on a slab, okay? He's the truth. And he says, I see this, uh, that's in me. I'm no longer the one doing this. It's a sin that inhabits my flesh. And then he really gets to the heart of it. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. He's saying, there's nothing good in me in my body of death. Get it? My flesh. There's nothing good there. And anytime I do something unworthy, or I say I'm going to do this and end up doing that, that's my flesh. That's the body of death. And Paul says, that's not me. And the one saying that's not me is that new creation. That's not me. It's the body of death. And we've already seen, how do you deal with that question? That long relationship, that spousal relationship with the body of death? It must die. That's what breaks the relationship. So there are only two ways that the body of death is dealt with. One, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. One is we die our body sleeps. He says, that's sleep. So your body of death is going to decay. That's sleep to a saint. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? 
But you see, then you've been separated. By death, you've been separated from the body. The body of death no longer has power over you. The only other one is the, the great exception. Those of us who are alive and remain until the return of the Lord will be transformed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, instantly glorified. The body of death will instantly become the body of life. That's the only exception. Otherwise, and both of those, if you think about it, are divorces, if you will, death. They chop off the body of death and bring the body of life. And then everything that you've known and experienced at the level of the new birth illuminates that whole new glorified body. Shekinah glory will come again to you. The light, you will be clothed in the light. Pure white linen, white linen. It's, we're talking about the glory of light shining forth from you. But the body of death, that's got to go. And that's the provision that God has made in Christ. So as long as you have the body of death, you have the ability for sin to be in your life. That's why Paul later on in Romans 12 says, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. The only problem with a living sacrifice is to keep crawling off the altar. <laughs> so you have to crucify yourself daily. You have to consider that body of sin and death dead. Mm -hmm. Not ignore it. Separate yourself from it by living in the spirit. By dwelling in the spirit, by dwelling in the light, walk as he is in the light. Mm. If you're walking in darkness, you can't be in the light. Darkness is what comes from your flesh nature. So you have to consider it dead. You have to crucify it. You have to literally say, I'm not going to listen or pay attention to you. Right. And Paul says there's no temptation that you face that right. is in common for everyone. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted above that what you're able to bear. In other words, Satan or nobody else can get at you to force you into sin because you've been set free from it. But you do have to make a choice whether you're going to follow the Lord or follow your flesh. Right. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Right. Is it going to be me or is it going to be your flesh? Yep. Well, that's why when Paul says, for I know that nothing good lives in me that, in, uh, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but I cannot carry it out. The body of, the body of death won't carry it out. It is absolutely, adamantly opposed to doing that. For I don't do the good I want to do, but instead I do the evil that I don't want to do. That's something that every saint has to say, I know that one. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am no longer the one who is doing it. But it is the sin living in me. Again, the body of death. Learn to recognize your own body of death. You know it more intimately than anybody except God. You know the things in you that are liable to temptation. And that's where you have to 
steer away from those things. And if you will practice that and pray in that direction and carry on with it, what will happen is you will change. You'll find yourself changing over time. You'll find that some things that used to appeal don't. Other things that didn't used to appeal do. That's the change. So he says, so I find this to be a principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. You live in a body of death. This is a crumbling temple. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, that's that new creature, right? The born again one. But I see in my body a different principle waging war with the law in my mind and make me a prisoner of the law of sin that exists in my body. So the body keeps plucking at me. It keeps pulling at me. No, 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 no. And then Paul concludes by saying this. What a wretched man I am. Paul, the great apostle, who will rescue me from this body that is infected by death? Infected. It's a transmitted genetic disease, folks. It passes from generation to generation. Literally, when you're conceived, you die. In Adam all die. Thank God. The answer he gives, this is the great glory. Thank God through Jesus the Messiah, our Lord. Because with my mind, here we are at the level of soul, I myself can serve the law of God even while with my human nature, I serve the law of sin. He says, at the same time that the body of death is going to keep doing what it's going to do, and it's going to do it until it dies or is transformed. It's just, it's inescapable. You can make progress. You can push back the boundaries. You can jam down the darkness. You can shine the light. You can be growing spiritually. And if you will do those things, those boundaries will extend. The light will, like Israel gradually going into the land, will push back the boundaries of darkness. Push it back, push it back. Every day, every year, push it back. Let the light shine. He says, I can do that at the same time my body of death is just going to do what it does. It's all about death. He says, I do it at the same time. You now know your experience. This is why you feel the way you do. You have your body of death. You have a new spirit of life, the new creature. And in between the place of the soul, mind and heart, is a turbulent shore. Storm cast. Awful conflicts. Great wrestlings. That is the place where you will constantly feel the experience of the heavenlies that live right here in the Holy of Holies, 
and the dark earth that has fallen and which hates the light. Right in between is your soul where you experience both your body and your spirit. They come together to your soul, which is right there. It's right there. It's very real. So, if that helps, if you see what he's saying, do you realize that sin and death go together and can exist either in ignorance or Torah, if you have the Torah, you can know the revelation, then things get worse. Oh, good. But that because of the promises of God in his revelation, the solution is given in the perfect Lamb of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and that while we in this life are going to wrestle with the body of death, and you know what it is. I got my hands full with my own body of death. I don't want to know about yours. <laughs> uh, the fact is, you know the things in you that are heavily grooved into doing the same old, same old awful stuff. In closing, may I offer just a couple of suggestions that come from the scripture? One of them is that meditate in the law of the Lord day and night. Mm -hmm. Always have the scriptures. Now, it's very difficult to meditate on something if you have to read it. So my suggestion is start memorizing. People say, I can't memorize this. And what was your address? They got that. What's so-and-so uh, telephone number? And they got it. You can memorize whatever is important to you. Trust me. What's your social security number? Uh, I'd have to look it up because I haven't read it in quite a while. No, that's, that's that Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah, all the time you're that's saying That's a subset that. of the body of death. Learn the scripture. Two, it says, pray without ceasing. Prayer, not a monologue towards God, but a relationship with God in which he walks with you and he talks with you and he tells you you are his own. That is two. Three, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves as some have and have been shipwrecked by it. You need to have relationship with other Christians. Walk in the light. Be with children of the light. Build one another up. Exhort one another. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. The list goes on and on. Exactly. That can't be done if you're by yourself. You can't have that with it by yourself. It requires fellowship. So you need to, every time you can, be in a fellowship of believers. Exhort one another, right? Exhort. Hey, you could do better than that. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we have a good relationship. You won't believe it, would you? Well, it is true, I tell you. Anyway... Those are some of the key things to help us overcome the pull of the flesh. It's when we are empowered by the Spirit of God. And we'll talk sometime about the empowerment of God. You don't walk it by yourself. He is there, always there, hearing every prayer. He is there to help. The Holy Spirit is the one 
who will equip you, strengthen you, encourage you, guide you. He will the one who empower you to overcome. That, that's key to this, this whole thing. What we wanted to lay out in Romans 6, 7, and 8 is that God calls us to holiness. We have a problem called the sin nature. We can overcome it by the Spirit of God and walking in the Spirit and learning the things of the Spirit. That's how we overcome. That's how we become more than conquerors. We want to be more than conquerors. You don't want to always be, yeah, you're right. Well, I'm living in Romans 7. I can't get out of Romans 7. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. You can. You don't have to stay in letting that sin nature dominate you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. It will automatically if you don't do anything. If you don't take precautions, you don't take the antivirus, mm -hmm. which is the word of God. But don't walk from here without acting on it. In Hebrew, to believe is to do. In Hebrew, there was no separation between the two. And guess what? Poor creatures, revelation has come and you're being instructed. Now all of you are accountable for what you have heard. Live as Christ lived. You've been empowered. You can push back the darkness. His glory is coming very, very soon. Amen. In the meanwhile, he calls you to be fruitful. Do not appear at the Bama seat saying, uh. Yeah. Uh. You don't, the most painful moment in your whole existence would be if you saw Christ at the Bama seat and the look on his face was hurt. When he saw you, he became mournful. What could have been, what you knew, and how little you did with it. So, be fruitful. Let's pray.